This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. All right, so last week we talked about the call to follow. Today I'm going to talk about the call to faith. The call to faith. And, and literally, um, that's where I want to land. R.C. Sproul has uh, just a great quote on faith that I wanted to share with you this morning. It literally says this, The issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. In other words, do you actually believe what he says? Do you believe what he says about you? No matter what voices are going on in the world, no matter what friends are saying, no matter what friends or family members are saying, no matter what you see posted on social media, do you believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? Do you believe that God is pursuing you? Do you believe that God loves you with an everlasting love? Do you believe that no matter what you have done in the past, that what you've done yesterday does not disqualify you from receiving His love today? That was weak. Yeah, Pastor, that was awesome. All right, great job, Pastor. You're just doing so good today, Pastor. I don't know about you guys. I don't drink coffee, and this is me without coffee. Can you imagine what I would be like if I had coffee? So I want to encourage you this morning. I believe that we are literally have a moment here where we can meet with God and be changed forever. Amen? I want, to, I want to start with my theme verse today. I'm going to come back to it at the end, but it's my theme verse today. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the first part. I'm going to do it in the contemporary English version. It says, we must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. We must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us. Remember, come and follow me from last week. Who leads us and makes our faith complete. Complete. I'm going to use a story that you probably have heard before if you've been around church any length of time. Um, but I'm going to just share with you this morning a little bit of Cameron's nuggets on some of these things from this story. And so we're going to talk about Peter and Jesus walking on water. And I love this story. This story is filled with so many goodies that hopefully I'll be able to unpack it all to you this morning. But it's found in Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. We're going to read. Um, just follow along with me, and I believe it's on the screen behind me. Starting at verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. Say, dismiss the crowd. Say, dismiss the crowd. Can I just give you just one little key that has nothing to do with this message and has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that it's a really cool, th- uh, cool thought. Here's what I've learned in my life. At every moment of faith for my own journey, I had to dismiss the crowd. How do I know? Because crowds love to give their opinions but are not invested. Crowds ultimately don't care about me. They just care about what they get out of it or what they look like through the whole thing. It's amazing to me in Scripture, Jesus oftentimes dismisses the crowd before healing takes place. So you have to understand this morning, part of your journey of faith has to start at step one. Step one is, who am I tracking with? And those people that I'm tracking with, are they inspiring me and motivating me and influencing me towards a new found faith in Jesus? Or are they pulling me down to their low level of faith in Jesus? And some of them don't even have faith in Jesus. 
So the first thing we've got to do on this journey called faith is evaluate our relationships. Who's in our core and who's in the crowd? And are we willing or, or courageous enough to dismiss the crowd that will never take us where we need to go? Are we good? All right, that's a good point, Cameron. Thank you. All right, verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. That's always a great idea. Just want to say. All right. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The, uh, the version of the same event that's told by John literally says that the waters grew rough. The Mark uh, version of this, Mark's uh, interpretation of this event literally says that they were four to five miles out from the shore and dealing with the stress of this storm, okay? Going on, it says in verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come to you on the water. I love this. I love this. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And the book of John, the same telling of the event, it actually gives another piece of information that really just adds a really, really cool thought to this story. It literally says when Jesus got in the boat, they were immediately at the other side. I'm like, that's awesome. Anyhow, thought for another day. Verse 33, it says, And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Do you want to know why people were worshipping with all their heart this morning? Because God's touched their life. And you just kind of feel like, I just can't help myself. I just got to give God my best. I just got to worship him with everything I've got. That's what you see in this house. There's lives transformed by Jesus' love, and we cannot help but express it. Amen? I want to look at three things this morning, three basic things. Number one, the reasons we are afraid to leave our own personal boat. Second thing is, is how we can overcome those limitations. And the third thought is this, how can we dare to completely trust Jesus? That's it. I want to start this morning with thought one. Key number one, that God will always stretch us on on this journey called faith. It's to overcome disillusionment. Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they said, uh, they said, and they cried out in fear. The first thing they did is they mistook Jesus for a ghost. They have spent the entire night afraid of the storm, fighting the elements in that water. And the moment they see Jesus, they think he's a ghost. And I can just hear it on the boat right now. All those 12 uh, men literally looked at each other and went, oh, here we go again. Just when we thought things were going to be good, just when we thought things were going to turn around, now we got double the problem. We've got a bad storm and we have a ghost. Mission impossible ghost protocol. Do you know what I'm saying? 
This is exactly what was happening. Who needs Tom Cruise? They had to figure it out on themselves. This is what they had to do, all right? But I want to give you this morning the definition of disillusionment because as soon as we read this, I want you to look at your life for a second and I want you to ask yourself a very simple question. In what areas of my life do I do this very thing? Okay, you ready? Here's the dictionary definition of disillusionment. That was a lot of D words. Anyhow, whoa. All right. The feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. How many have ever taken a job thinking it was the greatest thing since sliced bread only to find out three days in it wasn't so good? How many have ever been hurt by church and came to another church and went, well, this is going to be awesome until you see something that reminds you of the last church. And then you go, what? Disillusionment. How many have ever been in a relationship where you're expecting more from the relationship than the other person and then you start to realize that your hopes and your dreams in this relationship were different than the ones that they had and now you're disillusioned by the relationship? We do it all the time. We actually do this all the time. We do it in every last ounce. How many have ever gone on Facebook, seen somebody that you haven't seen in a while, and you see all of these snapshots of their glorious life, and then the moment you see their glorious pictures and their glorious posts, you, the automatic thought is, well, my life's not as good as that. But the reality is, is they're only showing you the best. You don't know that they were just arrested for domestic violence last night. They're now in jail for eight years. But we don't know that. But we see something and we put a value upon something before we experience it. And if we don't get full value for that experience, we become disillusioned. And the problem is, is disillusionment is naturally connected to faith. Because what's the first thing that changes is your belief system towards that particular person or that particular institution or that particular thing. Anyone here today? All right. Oh, good. Good, good, good. I want to just give you the context of where the disciples were and where they just came from. So they just came from the feeding of the 5,000. That just happened. 5,000 men, and and most scholars would argue that there was probably 20,000 people there because they didn't count women and children. So let's just say for the sake of argument, there was only 5,000. I don't know about you, but feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish is miraculous. Enough to have 12 baskets left over. That's miraculous. For anyone that has teenagers in your house, you know that anything left over is miraculous. You know what I'm saying, okay? Okay? I don't know what you're talking about exactly, exactly. There's my son, my wonderful son on the front row. But I want you to understand something this morning, that they came from a place of great breakthrough and great excitement with the only instruction, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. So the instructions of Jesus was we're going to the other side. The storm says we're going to die. And then once you're in the midst of the storm, not only are you going to die, but now you're seeing things. Okay. Have you ever noticed that as humans, we make our problems far worse than they really are? Right? 
we turn everything into something huge. The disciples were struggling with the storm, and they see a ghost. We are absolutely the same as this. I want to, for those that are, remember some of these old movies. Remember the old Alfred Hitchcock movies? Okay, I'm not here to promote them. That's not why I'm here this morning. But I want to I show you something that the old suspense directors used to do years ago that people don't do anymore today. When you go to a movie today, they show everything and leave nothing to imagination. Right? Back in the day, suspense directors knew how to create fear in our heads. And they would do it by literally developing a core thought or a core theme, and then your mind starts to go somewhere as to what you think is about to happen, and then it never happens. So you're left to literally fill in the blanks with your mind. That's how they used to do it, and it was perfect. Can I prove it to you? Da-dum. Da-dum, 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 da-dum. And half the scenes in that movie, then no shark showed up. But we've got it made up in our minds. The shark is out to get me. Everywhere I go, the shark's there and he's going to eat me alive. We keep seeing sharks and ghosts and they're not even there. When I go to the beach, I'm convinced that it doesn't matter that it's a lake that's got fresh water and it's nowhere close to the ocean. I have convinced myself, be looking for sharks. Look out for the fin. It's coming. I'm telling you, I've been in a swimming pool and I thought I saw a shark. And then I realized it was Abby playing with a baby shark that could blow up. And I'm like, oh, Lord, what are you doing? Giving me a heart attack. Come on. Huh. But in this moment of great stress and distress, the disciples see something that doesn't exist. And the disciples start to fill in the blanks with their own mind. And we do the exact same thing. They see a figure walking, think it's a ghost. How do we handle our fears. How do we handle those things that we make up in our minds? How do we handle those situations and circumstances? Well, the, the, the answer is so easy. It's ridiculous, actually. It's so ridiculously easy, it almost feels like I'm embarrassed to say how easy it is. But you have to know Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, you know his character. When you know Jesus, you know his attributes. When you know him, you know that it's, there's no way in the world that that could be possible because you know him. How many have ever heard somebody make up a story about a friend of yours, but you know their character and you know they must be lying? There's just no way that that could be true because that does not line up with the character of the person that I know. Right? Are we good here? Okay. How do I know this? There was actually a story that I heard many, many years ago. And this is obviously, a technology is different today and and technology has actually created a way to be able to discern between counterfeit money and the real thing. But back years ago, the only way that bank tellers or uh, anyone at the border would be trained and to know 
uh, how to tell counterfeit money is they would literally at the start of their job be put into a room for a week. And for 40 hours in that week, they would literally be going through money after money after money after money, and they would be feeling it, touching it, looking at it. They would be flipping it over, looking at the back, the front, everything. And they would literally look at real money all week long. And on the last day, someone would throw in a phony. And here's what they came to the realization of, is almost 98% of the time, they could pick out the phony. Not by understanding what the counterfeit looked like, but by knowing what the original was. If we know Jesus, we can snuff out the counterfeit any day. We can snuff out the counterfeit thinking, the counterfeit theology, the counterfeit prophets, the counterfeit... I could just keep going. Because we know Jesus, and we know that doesn't look like Jesus. That doesn't smell like Jesus. That doesn't feel like Jesus. Something's off. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to become so familiar with Jesus that we can snuff out anything that looks like a ghost so that we don't get tripped up. Are we following this morning? Amen? Think about in your life this morning, what is it that you automatically see as a ghost? And you all have a default mode to something. Trust me, I do too. We all have a default mode. Some of it's because of the pain or the hurt of things that you've been through in the past. So the automatic perception is that you see something far worse than it actually is. Sometimes you are the eternal optimist and you see something far better than it actually is and you get disappointed, which causes disillusionment either way you land on that side. Okay? Second thing is this. He had to overcome distractions. Peter leaves the boat the moment he knew that it wasn't a ghost, but it was actually Jesus. And there's so many arguments. I mean, I've heard every message about this particular story in my life. I've heard that, you know, Peter, where was your faith? And shame on you, Peter. I've heard another message that says, well, where were the other 11? What was up with them? Why didn't they have any faith? At least Peter stepped out. And I'm not here to necessarily dive into those thoughts. But I want, to under, I want you to understand today that the second key to walking in this call of faith is to overcome distractions. As soon as he knew it was Jesus, he took a step out. And not only did he take a step out, but for the first little bit, he did the impossible. He did the impossible. I don't know about you, but I have not ever in my lifetime seen someone walk on water outside of Canadian winter. But I've never seen anyone walk on water. Peter's the only one that I know of in recorded history that walked on water. I think it's amazing. Let's go back to this verse in uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. The moment Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the storm, he started to sink. When Peter got out of the boat, he was focused on Jesus, who was the source of his power and faith. The moment the wind started to become his focus, then he literally took his focus and shifted it from Jesus, who was the author and source of his faith and his power, onto something that could not save him, the water. When we sink, we get distracted from Jesus. I can tell you from my own life, the moment that I start to sink in my faith is the moment Jesus is not first. Jesus is not the focus. Or I put other things first. And you know what happens? It changes over time. It never happens one moment where you say, you know what, I'm going to put Jesus 38th on my list today. No, it's subtle and it's over time. 
And it's usually over that time that we get to where we look back and we go, what in the world am I doing? So what I want to spare you from this morning is the what in the world am I doing moment. How do I know? Because I've been there, it's no fun. Because now you're dealing with the guilt and shame of what you know you should do when Jesus the entire time is just loving on you and wants to draw you to himself. Don't allow the enemy to steal one more moment of your day with guilt and shame and condemnation. It is from the enemy. Make a decision to say enough of that. I'm going to overcome disillusionment. I'm going to overcome distractions. And I'm going to focus on Jesus. These distractions come in two different ways. It's the obvious and it's the subtle. The obvious is pretty obvious here. It's the storm. It's the wind. It's the waves. It's the lightning flashes. It's, it's all of those things. But I want you to catch something here. In one moment... He was fearful, hiding in a boat, which is man-made. The next moment, he is on the water, trusting Jesus, which is God-made. I can tell you right now that in every journey of faith, there comes a moment where God says, you have a choice. You can go with what you can create and you can hold on to and control. Or you can trust me to take care of you if you let go of control. Everything we do, we either default to what's man-made, what we can create, what we can control, what we can take care of, or we default to what God can take care of, what God can control, and what we can trust Him with. This is the journey of faith. We're all going to face it. We're all going to come across it. It's just part of life. It's how it goes. It's the journey of faith. I wish that there was an easier way. I wish we could just hit a button and then just show up and everything's perfect. But that's not how it works with God. It's not according to his economy of faith. It just doesn't work that way. Amen? So can we leave what is man-made and trust what is God-made? Amen? All right. Somehow, in that moment, Peter was convinced that Jesus could be trusted more than the boat that he was in. And then a couple of minutes later, he trusted the boat more than he could trust Jesus. We do the same thing. I'm going to say it from my own example, from my own life, but I often, had, when I was growing up, became scared of what I didn't know. So the fear of the unknown was prevalent in my life. Whatever I didn't know or wherever I didn't have a handle on, or if I didn't have a plan for the rest of my life, something about that scared me. Something about that just created anxiety and fear in my life. I also realized that I could become very overwhelmed by what I was distracted by. Don't we all? But in the midst of that, I made the worst decision I ever made when I was growing up. I turned from Jesus, who was the source of power and faith, and put my trust in what could never save me, what could never break, or give me a breakthrough, what could ever change my life, but I put my trust in the wrong thing. How many of you have ever had something at home, maybe an appliance or maybe just something that you're working on at home, and you were convinced in one moment that this appliance or this thing you have is broken, until you realized a little bit later on that it wasn't plugged in. Okay, am I the only one? <laughs> and we've already thrown the thing out. We've already been to Walmart to buy a replacement, only to find out that our kids have actually plugged it in and it's working by the time we get home. There we go. Well, that's embarrassing. But this is what we do with distractions. If we're not plugged into the power source... 
we always feel like there's something better out there. But what God wants to do is use what he's placed right in front of you. Our relationship. What are we going to do today, Cameron? How are we going to serve Jesus today? What are we going to do today? Amen? Jesus is a power greater than the problems that we face. Amen? When our problems distract us from Jesus, we turn from the greatest power source to a much lesser power source. 1 John 4, uh, verses 4, the second part, it says, The Spirit who lives in us is greater than he that lives in the world. Or in this version, it says, In the Spirit who lives in the world. If we focus on the problem, we lose sight of the one greater than our problems. Amen? All right. There's, a, there's not only the obvious distractions, there's the subtle distractions. There's this great quote I found. I don't even know who it was from. But I'm going to throw it up here. It says... If the devil cannot make you bad, then he'll make you busy. I wish I could give uh, credit to the person who wrote that, but I have no idea who wrote it. So there's two things I want you to catch this morning, very, very simply. We must never allow the problems of this world to distract us from the source of our power, which is always Jesus. Second thing is this. We must also be careful not to become so busy that we stray from the purpose Jesus has set aside from the foundations of the world for us. We can't do it. And it's tough in our culture. If I can be honest with you, there's so many things pulling on us today. So it places a greater emphasis on making sure our priorities are right. I want to come back to our theme verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, but I'm going to give you another version of it because I think it's awesome. It's the amplified version, and it says this, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief, and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Looking unto Jesus. Third one is this. God wants us to overcome doubt. Matthew 14, verse 33, it says, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I want to just um, contrast something here for a second. This was not the first story about the disciples in a boat on a, on a body of water in a storm. Matthew 14 is actually the second one. The first one happens in Matthew chapter 8, and the storm was so bad that they were fearful for their lives. Sound familiar? <laughs> we're going to die, Lord. What's the point of doing anything with you, Jesus? We're just going to die. That's what it was all about. Except this time, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was actually in the boat. So you're thinking to yourself, awesome, he's in the boat. Problem, sound asleep. How you can be sound asleep and at perfect rest in the midst of a storm, I don't know, but I think Jesus wants to teach us that. That's just a little side thought. But Jesus is in the boat with them, but sound asleep. They wake him up in a panic saying, we're going to die, Master. We're going to die. Do something. So he gets up and goes, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, storm, stop it. It's like sometimes what I do with some of my children, right? Stop it! And it stopped. Now, that's Cameron's paraphrase, but if you actually look it up in the real Bible, it says something different. But in my book, it says, stop it! Just like that, with a little, you know, in one of those. That's what happens. But I want you to catch the response, and the difference is in their response from Matthew chapter 8 to Matthew chapter 14. So in Matthew chapter 8, the response was this. It's very simple. What kind of a man is this? Matthew chapter 8. 
Matthew chapter 14, you are the Son of God. A little different. Before the encounter, this encounter, Jesus was just an amazing man. After this encounter, he's the Messiah and the one I'm going to follow for the rest of my life and there's no other option. He's everything. So how can we see Jesus for who he really is? Spend time with him. It's that simple. Make him your first option. I want to tell you what I used to do. I actually wrote it down because I was trying to think through kind of my thought pattern and how I dealt with faith years ago and how I dealt with a lack of faith years ago. So I'm going to give you Cameron's four-step program for messing up your life. Are you ready? Here we go. Step one. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. Whenever you're stuck in just knowing about Jesus, but not knowing Jesus, guess, that, guess what that makes you? A celebrity crazy person that just chases after celebrities all the time. I'm kidding. Anyway, side, side topic. Second thing, I trusted my own skills, my intellect, my connections, my money more than Jesus. I could figure out the problems. I had the solution. I could figure it out. Third, if, and when I did trust in God, this is a good one, okay, for how to mess up your life. I put God on a time limit. God, if you answer my prayer in such and such a time, then I'll believe you. And if you don't answer my prayer in such and such a time, then I'm assuming that he is not able, he's not willing, or he does not care about me. Of course, no one out here has ever done that before in your life. That was just me 20 years ago. I don't recommend it. My book is coming out on Amazon very shortly. You can read it. Anyhow, kidding. Um, not only Christ must be our first choice, he has to be our only choice. You say, that's pretty extreme. Yep. And I'll tell you why. Not because I'm giving you the option or not giving you the option, because Jesus doesn't give us the option. It's either we're following or we're just a fan. But fans don't follow. They just don't. Notice what happens when Jesus gets in the boat. Verse 32, it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. In other words, the wind ceased. The storm ceased. The second thing is this, John 6, 21, the same telling of the story. I've already read this, but I want, to, want you to see this. They were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were going. So instantly the storm ceased the moment we said yes to Jesus, and we were automatically at the other side. In other words, we automatically made it to our destination, supernaturally. I don't know how that happened without a motorboat, but they did. Somehow they made it. This is what God wants you to see. An interesting thought here is that the storm did not cease when Peter walked out in faith. Sometimes we have this uh, uh, thought that the moment we step out in faith, that God is going to meet us and everything's going to change. The whole process of faith is that we actually step out into the storm. Right? So the storm didn't cease when Peter walked out in faith. The storm only ceased when the source of faith was with him. That changes everything. Amen? This is the encounter of faith. This is what God wants us to get this morning. That when we encounter Jesus and we encounter faith in Jesus, that we can overcome any aspect of disillusionment. We can overcome 
um, distractions, and we can overcome doubt. All three of those things can be defeated. Amen? I want to come back to our theme verse again, and I want to just make a little thought, or just share with you a little thought here, and then we're going to come in for a landing. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2. This is the contemporary English version again. It says, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. To know Christ, we need to stay focused on him. Focus. Goes, who leads us? So we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Who leads us? Focus is the first thing, but following is the second thing. The, the way we overcome those things is not just to focus on him, but to follow him. The third thing is this, and he makes our faith complete. It's not just about focus. It's not just about following. But in the process of following, he makes our faith firm and the foundation of our life firm so that no matter what storm comes along, it won't shake us because we're anchored and we're rooted in what God has for our lives. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? Let's stand together. Amen? I want to end with a, a quote that I love. It's by Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite devotional books that I have. And it says this, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. I love that. I'm going to say it again. It says, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.